We are taking a moonlight stroll with the Tiki Creeps. It's from their album Invaders from Beyond the Sound of Surf. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. You're going to get to hear Moonlight Stroll in its entirety at the end of the episode. If you can't wait, though, go over to tikicreeps.bandcamp.com. Actually, you probably should wait until the end of this episode because we are still talking about, you know, I'm going to call it a classic. I really enjoyed The Screaming Skull. This movie, now that there's a really good transfer of it out on DVD, highly recommended, and I'm going to call it a must-have. I think it's something that you guys and gals will really enjoy. But before we get to all that and our special guest returning, Stephen D. Sullivan, let's talk about our website, monsterkidradio.net. is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. From here, you can find links to our Facebook group, our Patreon page, where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio. Although, as much as I'd love your support right now, hold off, because in January, I'm restructuring the Patreon reward levels, so just so everybody knows. We also have a link to our internet radio station, which is hosted over at Live 365. Now, over here, you don't hear the podcast. Here's where you get to hear music, film scores, trailers from classic monster and science fiction and fantasy films. We are considering dedicating one of those days to nothing but the instrumental surf-type music that we use to open the show. Stay tuned for that. We also have a link to our song page, speaking of the music that we use on the show. Every piece of music that you've ever heard on Monster Kid Radio, you can find a link to it here. Go to the band's websites, let them know that you heard them on Monster Kid Radio. Show them a little bit of love. Show them a little bit of support. Every one of those songs appears on this podcast with their permission. Also, our contact information is over there. Let's talk about our contact information. We have an email address at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. I bring it up specifically because we received an email from Steve T. He's one of our patrons. Hey there, Derek M. Cook. It's your Patreon pal, Steve, writing to you from the mysterious Far East in China. Let me start off by saying a big thank you for your amazing podcast. It's a creepy, cool monster treat that I look forward to every week. You're welcome. Your show is always crazy fun and informative with interesting guests, delightful interviews, and cool music. I have a quick question for you and your monster experts this week regarding monster movie magazines. I used to buy them all the time when I was a kid. Famous Monsters was, of course, my all-time favorite. I'd like to subscribe to a few of them again. However, I'm not sure which ones are still up and running, or if any of the new ones are any good, or which ones will ship internationally. Are some of them available as e-zines that I can download to my iPad? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Cheers and thanks, and keep your awesome show howling down the interwebs. Steve. I love monster movie magazines, classic monster movie magazines. I probably spend too much time on eBay drooling over back issues of things like Castle of Frankenstein, Famous Monsters of Filmland, of course. I can't afford to buy any of them, but I like to look at the pretty, pretty covers. The ones that I do subscribe to now, I subscribe to Scary Monsters magazine. I really, really enjoy that one. It is available by subscription, so I would recommend checking that one out. I don't know if it ships internationally. Honestly, because I live here in the States and all these magazines are based here in the States, I don't know if they'll ship internationally or not. You'd have have to look them up online and you know get a hold of them and find out scarymonstermagazine.com is where you're going to find that i also read monsters from the vault magazine this one is fantastic content aside the covers are amazing daniel horn's done a number of covers for these guys carrie gamble did the most recent cover it's fantastic work. MonstersFromTheVault.com. If you're of a hammer bent, and well, I am because I 
co-produced the 1951 Down Place podcast with Scott Morris and Casey Criswell, Little Shop of Horrors magazine. You can find them at Little Shop of Horrors, and that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. So Little Shop of Horrors.com. They call themselves the Journal of Classic British Horror Films. They tend to focus mostly on Hammer, but every once in a while they go outside of the Hammer box. Like they've done an issue devoted to anything but Amicus. Also a solid magazine. A magazine that I actually need to double check and make sure my subscription hasn't lapsed yet. G-Fan. G-Fan.com. This is about Godzilla. Kaiju. Giant monsters. Japanese science fiction and horror. I love this magazine. And like I said, I need to go in and double check and make sure I haven't let my subscription lapse on that one. Monster Bash magazine is put together by the same people who do the Monster Bash convention. You can find them over at creepyclassics.com. It's a fun, full-color magazine filled with wonderful photos and artwork, so I'd recommend that one. I don't know if that one's available by subscription. You might have to buy that issue by issue directly from their website. That's how I'd buy it anyway. I'd probably ought to look to see if it is available by subscription. And then uh, lastly, the other one that I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm probably forgetting a bunch, so forgive me, but the one that I can think of off the top of my head, I actually get from Amazon. It's called Monster, and it's with an exclamation point at the end. Now, this is something that's put out, I think they've gone monthly now, using the technology that Amazon has in place for self-publishers to release their books. Well, these guys are putting out a regular, well, we're going to call it a magazine because that's really what it feels like. It's monster with an exclamation point. Now, sometimes it can be hard to find in the Amazon listing. So if you look up the names Tim Paxton or Steve Fenton on Amazon as authors, you might find it as well. They are up to, I believe, 12 issues at this point. All of the issues are solid. I really liked the last issue that they came out with in November. It wasn't called Monster at that point. It was called Kaiju. And you can guess there was a giant Japanese monster on the cover. Now, Monster does tend to get into some 60s and some 70s monster movies as well. It doesn't stay strictly to the classic era the way things like Scary Monsters magazine would. But I still enjoy it. I love these magazines. And like I said, I'm sure I'm forgetting a number of these Oh, man. I Oh, the other one that I do subscribe to is Film Facts Magazine. And like I said, I'm sure there's plenty of others that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. You know what? If you're a Facebook user and you're part of the Facebook group and you can think of a classic monster movie magazine that I did not mention here, that I failed to mention because I forgot about it or may not even know anything about it, head over to Facebook and you know post it in the group. If there's anybody out there who has any suggestions for Steve or me or anybody else about classic monster movie magazines, I'd love to see that turn up over there on Facebook. Now, if you want to get a hold of us like Steve, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail line. Now, this is handled through Google Voice. The phone number is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. You can always call and leave us a voicemail. You know what? I'm eager to get back to the Screaming Skull. So we're going to get to that here in a second. Of course, we're going to play a couple of trailers, and then we'll get into that. Now, that is with author Stephen D. Sullivan. We caught up with him a little bit in the last episode of Monster Kid Radio. This is a movie that he really, really likes. And in the last episode, we were really going through the plot. We talked a little bit about the setup, some of the players behind the scenes that put the movie together, and then just really dove into the story. And we got up to a point in the plot where we left things kind of hanging. Jenny Whitlock has been driven to the point of near madness because she keeps seeing this skull laying around and well, her new husband, Eric is helping her put out a fire because well, fire kind of thing. They're putting out the fire, stirring up the ashes and 
Well, they find something in the ashes, and we're going to pick up with that after these trailers and these words right after this. Introducing Dr. William J. Bryan, the first medical doctor in the United States to specialize in the practice of hypnotism. In 1960, I was consulted regarding a tragic case of a triple murderer who strangled his victims immediately after viewing the movie Psycho. His fascinating analysis under hypnosis, now a matter of record in my book, came to the attention of the producers of Dementia 13, who asked me to devise a method of preventing a recurrence of this tragedy. You will be given a test prepared by Dr. Bryan to determine your ability to withstand shock. Those unable to pass this test will not be admitted to the theater. In this old castle, death is the youngest thing alive, for it is born and reborn 13 times, each time from a different dementia. A miasma of madness hides the one who delivers death, one who walks with silent tread and strikes with ruthless force. Is it the mother? Demented by grief? Or the attentive daughter-in-law, whose voice is soothingly hypnotic? She'll tell me. I promise you. Is it the son, who with fire creates beauty? Or the doctor who can cure and kill? Or perhaps the new bride, tortured by the ever-present nearness of death? the frenzy of a wedding night in which a marriage is consummated in a passion of terror you too will be mesmerized by a world that cannot be but is the movements of the static startles the wisest of birds the mystery of the enigmatic leads to a strange rendezvous. An attempted escape. A meeting with terror. Attention, please. During every suspenseful moment of the running of the motion picture macabre, the life of everyone in the theater will be insured by Lloyd's of London for $1,000 against death by fright. However, even Lloyd's of London will not grant coverage for any person with a known heart condition or for suicide by any member of the audience. Gunter Deadman here, and I'm really pleased and quite proud to announce our new publication. Yes, the Basement Sublet of Horror Magazine. Yes, there's our first issue there, and as you can see behind me here, it's got a fantastic cover painting by artist Bill Goffrier. It has articles by Michael Vredi, Rich Chamberlain, John Nickham, 
uh, Ben Yurish, and it's also a program guide for the, our TV show. In other words, it has all kinds of information about the TV show, including a complete list of episodes, which are, you know might be kind of interesting for you to peruse through when you have time. So anyway, it's the Basement Subletter Horror Magazine on sale now. Skull is a motion picture that reaches its climax in shocking horror. Its impact is so terrifying that it may have an unforeseen effect. It may kill you. Therefore, its producers feel they must assure free burial services to anyone who dies of fright while seeing the screaming skull. Be sure to bring someone with you who can identify you when you see the screaming skull. Only this lost soul, half man, half ghost, knows the secret of the living dead's curse, the torturous agony that saturates these walls and makes the shutters creak with almost human pain. Terrorizing those who dare to love with the maddening, jealous shriek of the screaming skull. demon dares touch the screaming skull what ghoulish thoughts control this poor man's demented mind what does he know what secret horrifying and blood-curdling is he hiding nothing is more terrifying than the spine-chilling breath of a vampire woman ghostly ghastly as unreal as a will-o'-the-wisp as real as the skull Jenny is stirring the ashes to make sure they've smothered all the embers with water. What do you think she turns up in this pile of ashes where the portrait was? If you can't figure it out, you're not paying attention. Yeah, and you don't know what the title of this movie is. Of course it is The Screaming Skull. Exactly. She turns up the skull in the ashes of this thing, and she screams, and Eric says, well, what's the matter, hon? (laughs) And she says, there's the skull, it's right there, don't you see it? And he's like, no. I don't see any skull. Maybe you need to relax. And she very (laughs) conveniently at that point freaks out and passes out again. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get a little twist. So if you guys don't want to be spoiled, you should turn this off right now. Watch (laughs) the film and then come back. Are you gone? Okay. The rest (laughs) of you, you've seen it or you don't care. Or welcome back. (laughs) Or welcome back. So then, after she's passed out, Eric gets a stick and uses the stick to pick up the skull from the pile of ashes. Yeah. Takes the skull and hides it in the nearby pond, the pond in which his previous wife drowned, or her skull was crushed, or both, depending upon what you think killed her. Hides it and then goes back to tend to his wife. Of course, he is actually seen hiding this by Mickey. That may become important later. So, he carries his wife back into the house. They get back into the house, and this is the final straw. They can't stay here. Clearly, they're going to leave. And so, 
they oh they've had another conversation with the minister and his wife at some sure. point here. Yeah, <laughs> they keep turning up at these at these regular intervals. Yeah, when something yeah. bad happens, the minister and his wife show up. They talk about it a little bit, and then the next set of action happens. So that's kind of the the interspersed scenes. Mm-hmm. Anytime something bad happens to our friends, they talk about it with the only other members of the cast, and then with the story proceeds from there. Mm-hmm. Eric and Jenny are going to leave. They're going to pack because clearly, for her sanity, they have to get out of here. We all know now that Eric is gaslighting her. Yeah, <laughs> or exactly. leaking her, or whatever uh-huh. you want. That he's behind this, and he's clearly got it out for her, and, mm-hmm. and uh, she's not so crazy after all, because somehow he's managed to arrange all of this. And and she happens to mention that well, she's going to go pack, but she says, you know, the Reverend thinks the skull might be real, and so he's going to have the the estate searched after her gone. And Eric's like, well, that's very nice, and then. If, you want to come up and help me pack, hun? Like, oh, no, no, I'll be up in a, a couple of minutes. And he never actually gets up there because what he then does is he goes <laughs> out to find and recover the skull so he can hide it better because yep. clearly people are just going to find it where it is. And he reaches down into the pool. He rolls up his sleeve. He reaches into the pool, and it's not there, and he can't find it. So he jumps down into this. It's a pond, but it's built like a swimming pool. I don't know how many people have seen estate ponds but it's you know it's got rimmed with rock and that right. kind of stuff but it's got lily pads in it and it's not clear water so he jumps down into it and he's searching all around he can't find it he figures that mickey has to have the thing so he goes running up to the the gardener's shed or the greenhouse or whatever you want to call it finds mickey roughs him up a little again mickey's like no i don't have it marion the dead wife marion took the skull so eric goes running off to look other places i guess and uh, we pull back, and we discover, well, Mickey does have the skull. He's got it right under there in his compost pile. There it is. He picks it up. He puts it in a basket, and he ends up taking it, as we find out later, down to the reverend and his wife. How far do we want to go with this, Derek? Well... It's over 50 years old. Yeah, I mean, we've already given a couple of spoiler warnings, and I will have done something in the intro as well. But I think where this movie really kind of delivers the goods... I mean, it has been good up until this point, but I, would, I really like the payoff here. Yeah. Now, there is a shift in point of view character. I mean, for the most part, it's been, you know, the wife's story, but there is a shift now to where we're focusing mostly on the husband because he's going to get what's coming to him. Right. Yeah. And, and that's important because, I mean, that's what we're looking for is a good payoff here. And I love the payoff. Right. And it yeah. gets real spooky and I, I like it a lot. It you does. know, the music's it's, kicking in and he's got this weird run, but, you know, beyond that, I love it. Eric is searching for this, the skull. Mm hmm. And, Jenny decides that he's gonna, she's gonna go and say goodbye to Mickey, who she's become friends with. She goes down to the shack, not the shack or the gardener's shed or the, the greenhouse. It's kind of a grungy looking, it doesn't look quite nice enough to be a greenhouse, but it's a little too big for a shack or a shed. So we'll, anyway, go with it. Yeah. She goes down to find Mickey, and as she's looking into this greenhouse area, through the far wall where there are windows, she sees a woman in this flowing dress and hat. You can't see her face, but there's clearly this spectral thing out there kind of waving its arms. She screams because yeah. that's what Jenny does. Uh-huh. <laughs> she flees, and as she's fleeing, this spectral creature follows after her in this kind of weird arm-waving, capering, running movement. Chases her 
all the way back to the estate. Now, we're thinking at, at this point, at least I was thinking, well, that's Eric in a costume, and he's putting the final nail in her coffin. Right. She runs into the house, and Eric is in the house where we see he's been working on a little home handy project because he's got a <laughs> like a nice little homemade noose right there. Yeah. But, oh, we've been told at this point that the reason – Jenny was in the sanitarium when she tried to kill herself. Yep. Doesn't take a lot of brains to figure out that Eric has Where, planted Eric? the yeah. <laughs> fake his wife suicide after explaining to everyone she's out of her mind. She's out of her mind. She's got a lot of money, and the money from the previous wife is all tied up. So, right. so she's what do you being think he's going to do? Chased by this weird spectral thing. And, and the thing that is odd, at least as a viewer, is at this point we're pretty convinced it's all Eric. Mm-hmm. But when we see the ghost, you can see through that ghost. Yeah. Holy Scooby-Doo, unless it's a guy with a projector, something weird is going on here. And it looks really good in this particular transfer as well. It's not overly clear sometimes in some of the the more rough public domain versions of this movie, but it looks so good. It is clearly spectral. It is clearly not of this world, whatever's happening here. And they can both see it. They're both interacting with it. It's not in Jenny's mind anymore. Right. This is... One of the main reasons, the start of this climax, is why you want to get the good version of this yes. movie as opposed to the public domain ones. And the public domain ones, it's all murky. It's very unclear what's going on. And in this, it's it's clear as day what's happening. And the fact that you can, this is a figure that you can see through. And it is, it's either, she's either, yes, she's really out of her mind or something is chasing her. And it's it's not clear at this point. She runs into the house, finds Eric, who's up on the, the landing of the big stairway, working on his noose. And, oops, she came in a little too soon, sooner than he'd intended. Uh, he decides the best thing to do is, uh, what would you do in this situation, Derek? <laughs> I don't know if I would have found myself in this situation to begin with, to be honest with you, Steve. <laughs> Well, clearly, when the, whenever this happens to me, the only thing that I can do is strangle my wife into unconsciousness. Does she listen to the show? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Eric decides that maybe that's not what I would do. But Eric decides that's what his best solution is. is to, she's coming for comfort. He grabs her around the neck and chokes her uh-huh. until she's unconscious. But we're not really clear that she's unconscious. She stops moving. She could be dead for all we know at this point. She stops moving. Yes. Right. But then I figure he's smart enough not to kill her that way because then you'd you'd probably leave the the marks on her neck. Good point. Good point. So I'm thinking he's deliberately not killed her because he's still got the noose that he's working on. Ah, good point. Good point. And he's going to string her up. She's lying there unconscious or dead. He's going to string her up and suddenly there's the boom, boom, boom knock on the door and he's like well crap it's the reverend so he comes downstairs kind of checking to make sure that you can't see her body from the the ground floor because it's lying on a landing up at the top of the stairs goes over to the door kind of straightening himself out like don't want to look like i just strangled my wife here but i got to make sure they go away before she maybe wakes up and i can complete my evil plan to, to have her commit suicide yep Opens the door, and Derek, what's behind the door? What's behind door number one? <laughs> Can you guess, listeners? It's the Screaming, screaming Skull! skull. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, though he has been playing with the skull previously, he did not play with this. And he kind of freaks out. Does it roll into the room or something at that point? 
it does start moving around on its own, which right, which is kind of freaky for him. He ends up running out of the house and being pursued all across the grounds by the skull in various. Now it, it's kind of a spectral form, and we've seen it kind of this looming face in the background, you know, mm-hmm. superimposed. You can see through it. It's chasing him around the estate. Lightning is crashing, even though there's no rain. And eventually... There's a lot of lightning crashes, by the way. There's a lot of inserts of animated lightning in the sky. <laughs> yeah, which is just weird. It's like, did you really need that extra You didn't minute? need to do that, yeah. But it, it, it doesn't really harm the film. It's just incongruous. He ends up running around the state. Eventually, he ends up down by the pond, by the, the garden pond, where uh, his wife was mysteriously killed. And when he gets down there, the real skull, the physical skull, appears and just latches onto his throat. Which <laughs> <laughs> is why we needed the jaw to be attached. I mean, we, right. the jaw's got to be there because, yeah. Right, yeah, you got to be able to bite. Yep. You know, so the the skull basically, he struggles with it, but it basically rips his throat out. He falls down into the pond, dead. Yeah, that's very spoilery, I know, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you took our warnings by this point and you weren't listening. So the screaming skull kills Eric. Right at that point, right after that happens, the reverend and his wife drive up in the car and they discover Jenny unconscious inside with this little noose, little homemade noose next to her. <laughs> and the reverend discovers Eric dead by the pond. They take Jenny away and there's a, well, why did he do this? Well, he clearly he must have been after your money, Jenny. Sorry, but that's the way it is. Yep. And so they, they drive away assumingly to probably get the police to come and look at this, leaving only Mickey, the gardener, who kneels by the pond, away from from Eric's body, talking to the pond, talking to the ghost of Marion, the the wife, as the film ends, and with the, the last words that you cannot hear on the public domain film versions, but you can hear on the new release, he he's like, they're all gone. Rats. <laughs> so I don't know if that's what's that supposed to mean. Whether that means that he is disappointed that no one is there any longer, and he kind of liked some of them, or whether it's oh, now we can't torture people anymore. You and me, Marion, forever. Yep. The ghost and the gardener. Hey, there's a title for you. There you go. That's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that's the end of The Screaming Skull. So it goes from being a kind of psychological, maybe a, a supernatural haunting thing, to a psychological thriller, I'm trying to drive my wife crazy, and then back to full-scale, oh, she's not crazy, there really is a ghost, yep. and the ghost wants revenge picture. It was Which really, is, yeah, this is good. This it's is a lot for 67 minutes. You know, it really is, but it, it really packs a punch, and I think it's very effective. You know, we were talking about the time involved in this film. The way this film is paced, at least for me, is it feels very play-like. Like, it could be mounted as a stage production. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got I a nice see. small cast, and you know, you've got the way the time passes, that sort of thing. So it's got this nice pacing, even though it's a nice short film. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, it's. I think this is a classic, mm-hmm. uh, low-budget cinema horror movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really think it's it's good. I would place it in the company of things like Dementia Thirteen. Oh wow! 
or Carnival of Souls. I don't think it's as good as Carnival of no. Souls because pretty much nothing is. Is there a better public domain horror movie than Carnival of Souls? Not unless you count Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> right, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's not up to that level. But uh, it compares, I think, pretty well with things like Violent Midnight and, and as I said, Dementia 13. Or some of the Castle films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's obviously... Uh, when they when they decided to make this, they obviously were taking a page out of William Castle's book. Now they didn't probably do it quite as well. The production the production values are not bad though compared to the Castle films. I was going to say they're not as good, but then I thought about it and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Does the production values on this are are probably as good as Macabre? Wouldn't you say? Sure. Yeah, I would think so. And as we started to discuss, there's some people that have some creds. Yeah, on it definitely film. has. You know, a decent pedigree. I mean, we were talking about the production value, and we mentioned earlier that it was shot on the estate of Huntington Hartford, who, as you mentioned, is the heir of the AMP supermarket fortune. He was involved in some film in his history. He produced an Abbott and Costello film, did a few other movies, uh, produced something for James Whale. So, you know, you got a little bit of a film connection there, and you've got this gorgeous place for him to shoot at. Right, yeah, the estate looks him. great. Yeah. I mean, it's... The, the grounds are impeccable. It's very weird that the house is, is so deserted, given how beautiful the grounds are. But, you know, that adds to the overall creepiness of, of uh, this film. So, yeah. you know, off the top of my head, I've, it's funny. When we started, when we decided we were going to talk about this, I like this film a lot, obviously. But I hadn't done hardly any research into the background of it because I thought it was just another one of these cheap exploitation films. We got a camera, we got a weekend, we got some people that can kind of act. Let's put together a horror movie and make a little bit of money. But when I started looking into it, I was like, oh my God, yeah. The only guy I recognized is Russ Conway, who play is that the Reverend? Yeah, it was Reverend Snow. Right, yeah. Who'd, who'd been in, um, he's like, the guy that's always talking to Flint in Our Man, Flint. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's like, oh, Flint, you're going to come out and do this. Yep. You know? So I rec- when I was watching it last night, I was concentrating on the people, and I, I recognized him, but I didn't recognize any of these, uh, any of the other players. Uh, but it turns out they've got quite a few credits between them. I mean, J- John Hudson has uh, 66 credits on IMDb and all sorts of, you know, things from like Canon and Dragnet and I Dream of Genie and 77 Sunset Strip and, and then uh, she's also got kind of a, a similar number. Peggy Weber has a similar number of, of credits. Uh, you know, she's got 55. She did voices on the Smurfs and Scrappy Doo. She's yeah. on Bosom Buddies. She was on the Waltons and Night Gallery. Project Drag- UFO. I mean, you know. Right. And the, spa- and the Space Children. I mean, which is, you know, Jack Arnold. You know, right. So. Right. Yeah. And I didn't even recognize her from that. And yeah. The, and she was in The Wrong Man. She was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Wrong Man. So she's she's got creds, too. Mm-hmm. And the, the cinematographer's like... Uh, <laughs> okay, Floyd Crosby, who I don't know a lot about, but he won an Academy Award. Yeah, in 1931, he won the Academy Award for a movie called Taboo, or Tapu, uh, A Story of the South Seas, which is directed by F.W. Murnau, the guy who did Nosferatu. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> holy cow. So these guys were not the people working on this. This may have been a cheap film shot, you know, in... P 
pieces over, I think they said six weeks, which is actually quite a long time for a film this short. Yeah. But the people working on it, they kind of knew what they were doing. And I, I hadn't really looked into it because I, I don't know about you, Derek, but I'm, I'm one of these people that I don't always have to know about the people that produce stuff that I like. You know, if, if I like the film, I can enjoy the film on its own qualities. And I don't need to know that it was based on a screenplay by Charlie Manson, <laughs> which is, I made that up. That's not true. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I can enjoy Wagner's operas without having to know that Wagner was a complete dick. Right? Yeah. So, so I don't have a, sometimes a great need to go back and find out everything about everybody behind everything. Right. I can just enjoy the art for what it is. You're talking to the guy who launched the creature cast among us. <laughs> <laughs> now that's different though. That's that's the creature. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it's like do I need to know everything behind all the Harryhausen films? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Sure. Do I do I need to know everything about everybody that worked on the Screaming Skull or Carnival of Souls? Not really. I can just enjoy them for what they are. And there are films like this that you just don't know a lot about the people that worked on them. Mm -hmm. So I was completely caught off guard. You could have knocked me over with a badly painted self-portrait when I looked <laughs> for Screaming Skull online and discovered there's, there's quite a bit of history and knowledge about this online. When you and I did Destination Inner Space. I know, right? which I love, which is, uh, in my opinion, is a better film than this. It, I love Destination Inner Space more than I love this. When we tried to find out stuff about Destin Inter Destination Inner Space, there was nothing to find. Right. There's just not, not anything out there, uh, aside from a few paragraphs here and there from people that, like us, admire the film. There just isn't, at least online, Mm -hmm. or on easily accessible sources, because my wife's a librarian. I did have her check. There is n virtually nothing about that film uh, available to the public and easily accessible. Which is unfortunate. Which and, is very unfortunate. And this is what prompted me to start talking about, you know, if you're a user of Wikipedia and you find something about one of these monster movies that you love so much, go on to Wikipedia and start updating these films, because this information needs to be out there. And if you look up the Screaming School on Wikipedia... There's a lot of stuff in here. It's got a great Wikipedia entry. Yeah. A really, really good one. With this is well what I'm talking about. And it's awesome. And I honestly, I expected when I clicked on Wikipedia that I was going to find the same kind of thing that I found on Destination in the Space when I mm -hmm. clicked it, which was like a sparse paragraph of opinion with a note from Wikipedia saying, uh, you need to either cite this or we're going to take this entry down. <laughs> right. You know, the year it came out, a link to the IMDb page, and that's about it. Right. Yeah. No, and this has got some really good something that says, this is a stub, please fill this out. Exactly. You know, you go to the Screaming Skulls entry, there's 24 references on here, 24 citations. Right. They've got you a know. contents thing, plot, production, release, and reception. See also references, bibliography, external link. They've got a full... Wiki, you know, I mean, it's not like Gone with the Wind or no. Casablanca lengthy, but it's a very solid article. It really is, and it's a good jumping off point now knowing that there's some material out there. We could dig a little deeper and probably find all sorts of great stuff on this thing. Right. And like I said, I was surprised because yeah. I thought this was just, a, you know, 
uh, not a, a Corman three-day cheapie, but I thought this was in that kind of a category. For being the first-time feature film directing job of Alex Nichol, I was very impressed. You know, the direction I thought was pretty solid. I thought the cinematography was great, which it should be. I mean, Academy Award winner here. Right, yeah. Who would have guessed that, though, going in? I know, I know. (laughs) This movie's got a lot going on, and it's got a lot of cred, really good pedigree. And I wonder if the fact that the only available version of this movie for years were really bad public domain films, if that somehow harmed the reputation of this movie, because I feel like this really does deliver. Yeah, it's a fun film. We don't want you to get the wrong impression listening out there. It's low budget. This is a low budget, quickly made film with a small cast in black and white that runs just a little over an hour. This is not... (laughs) No, no. If you look hard enough, you're going to see the seams. Right. It's not... This is not the skull of the Marquis de Sade with Peter Cushing and all the force that Amicus or whoever the production company was on that can bring to it. Yeah. But it's still a solid. It's it's surprisingly good Mm -hmm. for what it is. Yep. And, you know, and had a surprising number of good people working on it. I was shocked. I was shocked. I thought it was going to be like the beast uh, from the beginning of time. I think it is. There's a film that was made in Wichita and it's about a caveman who thaws out and it's a cool little film that none of nobody working on it made anything else. Uh, now having said that, I'm sure someone will say, well, wait, there was this guy, but I thought this was in that. <laughs> there, there, scene. there actually was a couple things that I'm working with some people to try to get my hands on. So, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I thought this was in that same kind of a, same kind of a class. And that's that's because, as I said, I, I'm willing to enjoy something for the art of it without having to really, really dig deep into it. Right. You know. So I can tell you the reason I like this is it's it's fun. <laughs> it's a cheapy shocker. You know, heavy on the cheap, heavy on the shock. <laughs> but it's fun it's you know, it's one of those films that as a writer, if I were to rewrite it you can make a pretty good remake of this film, tweaking it just a little. I'd want to see it as a stage production. I really think this would do really well on stage. I think it potentially could. Yeah. Certainly it could if you had the like um, one of William Castle's skeletons flying over the audience. Oh, yeah. Point. You would definitely need to do something like that. And, or something you know, like that. You know, to, to talk about Castle real quick, this movie actually predates The Tingler, which also had that, you know, we're going to you know, take care oh, of you if you it? get killed. Yeah, this movie predates The Tingler by like a year or two. Really? Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm I'm always confused about uh, the dates. I always think of Castle as being kind of active from around the middle of the 50s to the end of the 60s. Well, he was active uh, which for is, a while. I think it's probably right, but um, but yeah, the the uh, but clearly, you know, they clearly took a page from his stuff. I mean, the oh, yeah. Macabre, which was his first horror film, has a has one of these death certificate things mm-hmm. or something at the beginning of it, doesn't it? I think. I think it's that I think it's that one. We haven't done very much Castle on the show, so uh, in twenty fifteen we'll be doing more William Castle. There are already plans in the works, so Oh cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I love Castle and I just uh, just recently picked up a copy of Matinee, which oh, is Oh God, I love that movie. Right, yeah. And it's uh the weird thing is that's one of those films that you can you can pay like ten dollars, which is not too bad 
to get it on DVD, or you can pay five dollars to get it on DVD in a great print with like eight other movies. Yeah, <laughs> none of which are kind of in the same genre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's fun watching that and thinking and knowing that that's kind of a, a an homage to Castle. Matinee is one of the movies that I really, really wanted my multi-region Blu-ray player for because it is available on Blu-ray in France. Oh. And it's awesome. It's got a documentary on there. Uh, the cover art's pretty cool. Uh, it's, so I, I would recommend it if you have the funds and you're looking for, you know, a, an after Christmas Christmas gift for yourself. Multi-region Blu-ray player, French version of Matinee on Blu-ray. It's really That good. sounds awesome. You know, the the funny thing is I was watching this last night. I thought, I wouldn't mind having a Blu-ray of this. I would, too. I could see this getting, you know, turn this over to, like, Ballyhoo or whatever. Get them to do some awesome behind the scenes, some yeah. great special features. And, yeah, and some of these roll. people may still be alive. I'm not sure if any any of them are, but some of them may be. Uh, Alex Nickel is no longer with us, but, I mean, just to even go back to that uh, the, the mansion. I don't see a death like. date on Peggy Weber, but she was born in 1925, so. Yeah. You never know. Chris Lee's still alive, though, and he was, you know, he's 92. <laughs> so it's possible. <laughs> and making Christmas music, so why not? Awesome, yeah. You go, Chris Lee. That's right. Long may, long may he reign. <laughs> He's the last one, man. <laughs> well, you know, the, there's yeah. always a another great person coming along. But yeah, yeah, he's one of the great classics and hell of a life too. Yep. <laughs> you know, spent spent his early days killing Nazis. <laughs> you know, witnessed the last execution by guillotine, and then he's doing heavy metal Christmas music. Now, this year, mm-hmm. we love you, man, and you're great in the Hobbit Battle of Five Armies, too. <laughs> we love you, Chris Lee. <laughs> well, I know he listens, so I'm sure he appreciates that. Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, this is a good film. This is a, yeah. an enjoyable movie. It's easy. You know, it's just a little over an hour long. You know, sit down, yeah. watch it. You know, it's not overly deep, but it's still a fun, effective. You mentioned it's heavy on the shock. I think it really is, and it's got enough twists in the screenplay and the storytelling to keep you interested. Right. It's really good. And I, you know, until I looked up the creds of everybody, I was like, these people are surprisingly good <laughs> for yeah. a, a cheapy B movie. And then I looked up, and, you know, it's like they're surprisingly good because they were all actually professional actors. They're just not, they're just not faces that you probably recognize. Yeah, I mean, right. Alex Nickel did Broadway. You know, I mean, the director, the guy who plays Mickey with the limp, he was doing Mr. Roberts on stage. I mean, he was, you yeah. know, so he's, they've got a solid background with uh, acting. And, I mean, this was made with professionals. I'm sure they weren't paid very much, but this was made with a professional casting crew. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't just look like Klaus Kinski. He actually has some acting creds like Klaus Kinski. Too. Exactly. So... We so recommend we, it. We yeah. definitely recommend it. We mentioned like I said, you can get it on. It's not going to change your life. It's not the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's not <laughs> the seventh voyage of Sinbad. But it's if you're looking for a a low budget black and white horror movie. Exactly. This, this is a good way to go. If you got a gift card for Amazon for Christmas, five ninety nine. If you're looking for that purchase, that's going to put you into the Amazon free shipping thing. Oh, there you go. If, if you're you've got, you know, yep. like it's like right on that line, and you're you're a dollar or two short, throw this on top of it and push yourself into the free shipping. Yep. You won't regret it. There you go. Highly recommended. Yep. 
All right, Steve, we're recording this near the end of 2014. What does 2015 look like for you, man? Any big, big projects that you haven't already mentioned? The the print version of Tournament of Death 3 will mm. be out uh, very, very early in the year. So that's not just for backers. That'll be available to the general audiences as well. I'm also, I'm content, you know, I just released Daikaiju Attack, and I'm really proud of that. And I really, the holiday gift guide. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. That was awesome. I was really, really uh, thrilled to discover that. That's out. I'd kind of like to do another one of those. But oh, it, nice. You know, it kind of depends on where I thought I was going I was going to use all new monsters, and the little bit of feedback I've gotten is said that people would like to see maybe one of the monsters, uh, Gorgon, maybe return. Oh, wow. um, so I, I'm, that's stewing in my mind. There's this uh, Cushing Horror project that I'm pretty sure I'm going to get out of the ground. Uh, that will be a Patreon project. I've got some preliminary stuff. If you go to CushingHorrors.com, That'll take you to the Patreon page. You can see what I'm proposing. I haven't launched it yet, but I'm I'm thinking I'm really going to try to do that because, honest to God, I don't want to see a universal monster superhero universe. That's why I'm doing my own, man. I hear. I want to see a classic monster rally monster mm-hmm. universe, and if I have to write one myself, I will. But universal, I'm available, and I know Derek <laughs> is too. So, and and the thing is. You can get us relatively cheaply that's compared true. to the overpriced guys that are going to give you something that's hack work, which <laughs> is afraid where I'm think you're going. So we're available. I'm cheap. I'm cheap. We can I can put together a great team to really get you some great Universal monster films. There Failing that, I'll I'll be working on my own. And then I'm pretty convinced, and I know I've been saying this for years, that this is the year when I finally finish rewriting Frost Harrow up to my current standards and start releasing the Frost Harrow gothic horror books. So you know, those were the books inspired a lot by like Dark Shadows, that sort of right. thing, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah, they're they're uh Dark Shadows kind of serial set of stories, uh modern gothic horror. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very excited about that. We've got demons, and we've got vampires, and we've got uh, chupacabras, and we've got ghouls. There's lots of stuff. I've got uh, six books in. Uh, I actually started working on this almost 20 years ago. I wrote these. The, I wrote the Frost Arrow books to be eBooks before there was actually an eBook delivery platform, which is kind of a mistake. <laughs> hey man, I you know. There were ebooks before there was a Kindle, so. And then by the time mass market ebooks came, I made what might have been a second mistake, and rather than just releasing them, I looked at them and said, oh, I can do better now. <laughs> oh, Steve. <laughs> so I've been caught between those two things ever since. And, and if you've been watching my site, you've seen that there are a number of, uh, Frost Harrow related, uh, short flash fiction stories that I've been putting up for the last number of Halloweens now and some other stuff like that. Um, and I'm hoping this is going to be the year for that. And that'll last right until someone dumps a big pile of money on my, on my, <laughs> on my desk and says, here, work on this for a while. And I do have, I do have something else that's a, a fantasy series with, uh, with some friends that we'll see what happens with that. But right uh, on right now, Frost Harrow, Cushing Horrors, and that's after I finish up all the, the Tournament of Death delivery stuff. Sure. So, 
Now, this is all over on your website, stephendsullivan.com or sdsullivan.com. Yep, yep, depending upon whether you can spell Stephen with a PH or not. <laughs> if you can't, go for S.D. Sullivan. That's easy. And you've been on the show enough that we've got you listed, at least if we should have you listed in the links section over at monsterkidradio.net. If so. you're not there now, you will be by the time I'm, I'm done recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, not a problem, Steve. We're going to have you back on the show quite a bit. We've talked a little bit about having you on the Creature Cast Among Us for an episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, talked we need to that. do that. I'm a huge I'm a huge creature fan, and uh, I learned to swim by watching the creature, and the creature was uh, one of my earliest monster memories and my earliest monster. One of the monsters that I loved before I ever saw the movie. I loved uh, the creature and Godzilla based on their Aurora model kits. Nice. Well, save that story. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we will. We'll definitely have you on for that, as well as future episodes of MKR down the line. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll have you back for something. Oh, I love having you on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And I could Bye. appear every, every other week, and I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, thanks a lot, man. Oh, you're welcome, Derek. S.D. Sullivan or StephenDSullivan.com is where you're going to find Steve. He's got a number of projects in the works since we've recorded this. Something else has started to develop on his end, and if it goes through and it's something that he does in 2015, well, whenever he does it, I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. Steve, I love having you on the show, brother. Got to have you back on. And we did talk about having him on a future episode of Creature Cast Among Us, the Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff that we do. So look forward to more Steve in 2015. Hey, you know, speaking of 2015, by the time this goes out, it will be officially 2015 where we're recording here. And Steve, do you have anything to say about that? Hey, all your monster kids out there, have a really, really happy new year. I'll see you in 2015. My thoughts exactly go along with Steve. I wish everybody the happiest of new years. I hope 2015 brings you everything that you need and you want, and you have an amazing new year. So I like to play trailers here on the show, and lately I've been trying to make them relevant, make sure that they have something to do with the discussion that we're having on the show. Like in the last episode, the trailers that I played, Steve had mentioned in the conversation. Well, this time around, I played one that might have seemed out of the blue. Abbott and Costello go to Mars. Well, it's not really out of the blue for two reasons. One, one of the guys in the Screaming Skull, Russ Conway, was in a couple of Abbott and Costello movies, including Abbott and Costello go to Mars. And two, as of right now, the plan is next week on Monster Kid Radio, we're going to have Joe Stuber back to talk about another Abbott and Costello film. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've already talked about all the Abbott and Costello meet the monster movies. Sure, we skipped the Captain Kid because that's more pirate than monster. But, you know, we talked about all those. So what are we going to talk about now with Abbott and Costello and Joe Stuber? Well, back in 1941, they did a movie and the word ghost was in the title. A movie with the word ghost in the title definitely has my attention. Hold that ghost is what we're going to be talking about on Monster Kid Radio next week. That's the plan. Stay tuned for that. Between now and then, though, of course, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Moonlight Stroll. That belongs to the Tiki Creeps. It appears on their album, Invaders from Beyond the Sound of Surf. You can find it on Amazon or at tikicreeps.bandcamp.com. Follow the link in the show notes. Check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you because their music appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to everybody next week. Next week.